KVBL Radio is back. It is a slow time in the KVBL right now. We just had restricted free agency. We have regular free agency coming up here. I believe the deadline is tomorrow night. We're recording this podcast on a Monday. Tomorrow at 7.30, I believe it's the deadline for UFA1. But it is a time of transition. So today's theme, a very quick-hitting podcast, is transition. Not only transition for some teams, but also it seems like some transition into valuation of certain players. And, of course, there are some polarizing players and topics that that happen. So just to kind of dive right in, what have we seen so far since the season ended? The Hornets are your champions, and now everyone is trying to keep pace. Of course, once the season happened, season ended, we had some trades occur pretty quickly, which we alluded to on the last podcast. Uh, probably most notably, I guess, would say the Thunder going out and adding Beaumont at center. Gaping hole for that team. So if you're already going to score, why not score more? Obviously, it's not typical that we start with the Thunder. The Thunder were kind of a joke last year. They didn't really talk about my team too much other than make fun of them uh, for not winning. You know, I wasted the season. You know, people want to, well, I guess people, we could say Ricky, you know, like I think the the, the Landros was, or the Maynard was wide open when it came to the playoffs. I think anybody, once the Kings went down, uh, the Warriors naturally, I think, became the favorites, but we saw that the Sonics almost made the finals. So I think if anybody did, made, decided they wanted to care a little bit more in the Maynard, they could have made the finals. I mean, the, the, the Sonics were literally, what, a tiebreaker away from not even making the playoffs? And they knock out the Kings in the first round. So, again, craziness. So, anything could have happened. But, again, the Thunder had no center of, of, of significance. Harris Fitzgerald wasn't too bad. Put up some nice offensive stats. Didn't play any defense. So, the Thunder go out and they decide, hey, we're going to score. So, let's just score some more. Added Pierre Beaumont from the long-time winning Lions. Well, it was fun. Probably not a good fit for them at center. But you know what? If it means that having Beaumont ramps up the pace even more, and if they can take shots away from Pang, you know, this team's probably better off having anybody at point guard other than Pang. But the one reason I'm kind of rolling with it, and of course it'll be somewhat of an experiment, and we'll see what happens when the season starts, is we have a lot of supplementary passing. Wagstaff can pass. McCants is going to get a lot of minutes. He can pass. You know, is there anybody in free agency that the Thunder can add that can pass? You know, what's going to happen as far as being able to contain Pang? What we've also seen is it seems like sometimes it works, is that I've clearly been a critic of chucker point guards, but it seems like people can make it work. Gensho seemed like he worked in the playoffs. We've seen historically bubbles do it in the past. It's been a long time. But he's had some chucker point guards, I think, make it. I, of course, it ultimately depends on what you have around him, and I don't think Pang is terrible. The turnovers are going to be bad. He's going to have games where he's going to shoot 10 of 30, but having everyone else around him able to shoot 50% or more is going to be a benefit. The team's not going to play any defense, but they're just going to score and score and score, and hopefully the idea is we score, we draw fouls, and we just end up having these, 125 to 115 games. That's what we're looking for at OKC, and it's possible. So, of course, the Thunder go out, add Beaumont. 
immediately puts that team in major contention out in the Maynard. What are the Kings going to do? The Kings are still the favorites. And, of course, the Kings, um, I guess, are the Kings, you'd probably, well, I think you'd say that the Hornets are your favorites, right? They just won the title. Kings lost in round one, duh. So the Hornets are probably your clear-cut favorites going into the next season, but I think the Kings would be number two. Of course, the Kings lost Prince for the playoff run, and maybe that was their, maybe that was what they needed. So they, they're, they're looking to make moves. They're out there. I think they potentially were, they were looking at potentially adding Bo, and I might have just snuck in and stole Bo from right under them, timing-wise. But if the Hornets are number one, the Kings are for sure number two. You know, there's going to be a lot of teams vying for, you know, the next few spots. But if we're looking at the Maynard, you know, again, we talk about the Thunder are now in the mix. The Warriors made an interesting deal where they traded Pascal for Rosado. And then, they, of course, they traded Chigurh for Sudbury. So the offense that they lose in Pascal, they add some defense. You know, I know that Ricky was talking about Pat recently, and he's like, you know, what's the main difference between those two guys aside from contract? And this is where we talk about transition. I think, you know, we're – We'll get to Sugar in a second, you know, but what makes the KBBL great is how people will argue the value of certain players. Clearly, I'm, I'm somebody that doesn't like Tang. Other people do. He seems to work. So, you know what? I'll try it. He's not the guy that I would normally roll with at point guard. I would much prefer with that team a low-usage defensive type. But you know what? Maybe I just need him for the passing. Maybe I just need him to be the straw that stirs the drink. And maybe it just adds so much more pace to my team and that and that's what matters so we you know ricky asked what's what's the difference between Patton and rosado yeah it's like Patton has better passing Patton has better steals but Patton has historically been dropping off um we've seen the one through nine dip he's pretty bad offensively and you know he's worse defensively so i think rosado has the dd um rosado is is significantly well i wouldn't say significantly but he's definitely more efficient uh i just think you know Getting a more balanced point guard for that team, going from Pascal to Rosado, is a big deal. Now, again, we're talking about Patton. Um, is, is I just don't think Patton is, is he's not terrible, but I just think Rosado. I like Rosado a lot more as far as what he overall gives me. Now, it's nice that Patton can slide to the two, you know. But again, you do have to ultimately absorb that contract. But in a vacuum, how much better is Rosado than Patton? Uh, it might not be massively significant, but I definitely, pre- you know, prefer, you know, Rosado. So the Warriors have Rosado, and then they do the other trade for Sugar for Sudbury. And this is where, when I talk about transition, I mean, here's a team that's in, in interesting transition where, you know, they had Sugar coming off the bench, and now they're going to have, it uh, looks like, I guess, they would have Rosado at the one, Suds at the two, and then they still have Cruz. So, you know, Suds is going to need to score some more. He took, I guess, a 3G hit. It wasn't 2G, so it's not as terrible as it, as it looked. You know, Rosado's still going to score a little bit, but I guess that team is more balanced now. Um, like we said before, I feel like that team needs a little bit more front court scoring to be able to compete with some of the other teams now at the uh, at the upper end of the league as far as the certain matchups. I mean, again, they were still, you know, what? One, they were in the finals. So anything could happen. It's not like the team was bad. But, you know, getting rid of Pascal's bad defense and, you know, now adding Sudbury who can score a little bit. I feel like the scoring seems like I guess it balances out a little bit. And then, of course, they traded Chigurh. And we are in an, an interesting phase now 
where I believe people are now chasing Marco Polo is that people are seeing that the these really inefficient guys that people want to give up on they want to be the they want to be the next one who gets these insane boosts to Marco and the guy turns it around remember Marco I want to say very young had this type of 2G you know similar to Sugar similar to like a McCoyle you know maybe the usage wasn't as high but I want to say that like Stu Cermak um and so everybody wants to be the next guy to take this on. Now, what's funny is that I feel like MX was the one who had Marco in the beginning. Someone else might have had him, but I remember there was a time where he was trying to trade Marco, and I flat out turned him down. He ended up on the Sonics. I'm, I'm not forgetting for what, but it ended up to the point where people were just like, this guy's garbage. And now, look, he's like one of the more elite talents in the entire league. Now, it took a lot of progression and namely a lot of nice offensive progressions. The defense is there, but getting the offense just makes it that much better. So now MX, you know, is committed to wanting to make it work. Tried with Stu, didn't happen. Did Stu even get worse? I'm not sure. So now he tries it with Shiger. So you have this very polarizing player and topic, I think, of these defensive guys. So, you know, again, talking about how I like to discuss things with Kyle, Kyle notes, you know, well, what about the defense? Does that outweigh something like the inefficiency? You know, and, and in theory, it's like, okay, he's at, at what, what are the tops he gives you? Four, maybe five steals. Um, how good is that defense in the sense of can you play a guy like Shiger at plus two defensively um, where he's not going to be a foul trouble? Uh, that's the big thing is that you want one of these defenders who can get a lot of steals or blocks to be played at plus one or plus two pretty comfortably. So you know that you can get really nice defensive output and stop people. You know, if they're fouling a lot, you're not going to be able to stop the guys like you want. Um, yes, in theory, because he's got the high one through nines, he should be able to negate some offense coming from the other teams too. I mean, this is like, we had guys like Moeller. We had guys like Chiz back in the day. Chiz, Chizoba Jang. Was, was a was really similar, I think, ratings-wise, except for he had, I think, much higher rebounding and maybe even more blocks, but very inefficient, similar to what Shigur is right now. And the argument becomes, are you going to get the positive defensive stuff that outweighs the offense? And, of course, you everyone knows from listening to the, like, I think I counted, like, literally 25 podcasts we've done now in the last month, incredible, uh, is that I'm, I'm clearly frightened by inefficient players, which makes the Pang thing the most ironic thing, is that it scares me. So, and and it's one thing if you have your guy surrounded by a lot of scores where you can make it work. I think, remember, when Ricky won a title with Moeller, I believe he was bringing Moeller off the bench at like five or maybe all five positions. He might have been his primary backup at all five spots. You really need to have the offense to make sure, like, if a guy like Stu or if a guy like Shiger is taking the most shots on your team, we see what happens. You know, it's like the Dorset issue. It's the point guard issue with all these teams last year, is that when these inefficient guys are taking all of your shots, it's going to be a problem. So I don't know sometimes how much the D matters if the guy's going to shoot you at a game. You know, if Shiger's going to play really solid D but go out there and shoot 5 of 20, 
you know, okay, he's not going to shoot, what, 20%, 25%? He's not going to shoot that low. But, I mean, some of these guys are shooting 36%. Like, if he's shooting 36%, you, in turn, would want him to be able to shut down someone's best scorer. Now, again, if he's shooting 36% and he's your fourth or fifth scoring option, maybe that's worse. But if he's, like, your most volume guy and you can't tone him down, that's where it's going to be the, the end-all problem. Now, look, here's where we have guys like this that, again, they're polarizing because I think you have, you know, probably an equal amount of GMs on both sides. There's certain people like myself who probably wouldn't touch that guy. But then there's other GMs who know the value of defense and want that in the playoffs. Again, even, you know, clearly there's still a, a, a discussion on Chow is that people want to discuss how valuable Chow was for the Hornets. You know, Chow shot 42% in the playoffs. But, I mean, how many shots is that Is that really, like, the difference between 42% and 50? Are we talking, like, four or five shots? And if his overall defense matters, great. It's just probably the extreme example of it is a guy shoot you at a game. You know, we talk about efficiencies and, you know, what, what's really the difference between a guy who shoots 37% or 40% from three? Is that one or two shots? I mean, I guess that matters at the end of the day over the course of the whole season. But if that guy gives you a little bit something more, you know, what, what does that mean? And, you know, that, that transitions almost into the Callahan topic. But, again, to kind of put the cap on a guy like Shagur is that, you know, so now uh, MX wants to just keep hoping he can get the next guy. And I feel like we've seen him get more defensive stuff, but I still don't think he's got the offense. But if he's looking at it as if the only real flaw is this guy's shooting and I can somehow surround the team with enough offense, maybe it can work. So I don't fault him for doing that. I'm surprised that he gave up on HES, and now he's giving up on Sudbury. They seem like guys that he likes, but I guess the idea is he got he drafted Graf, which pretty much seems like a a point guard only version of Sudbury. So if he's got Graf at at point guard, he's going to need some defense. So you know Graf, uh, Sugar, he still got Zampa. Uh, he drafted the four position defensive guy, who's really fun. Um, so, you know, the, the Clippers are kind of, again, the transition now is they're transitioning in a team that seems like they want to try, but, you know, we're not quite sure what they're going to be. Um, and then the, the Warriors are just transi- transitioning themselves into going away from worrying about Pascal, who could score, but his defense was so bad that he became a liability. So the Warriors are trying to go into a more of a, a balanced lineup. And if you look at it right now, like, they probably lack a teeny bit of scoring, and especially since we know that Brooks became a free agent. Uh, you know, what are they going to do as far as can he be re-signed? Are they going to add something else? I mean, most likely they're going to lack a little bit of scoring. But if you look at the, the lineup right now, uh, Rosado, Sudbury, Cruz, uh, you know, Rafi, and, and Collins is, is a decent one through five. You know, I don't know if they're as good as last year, but I like it. You know, I like that he stayed a little bit young where he's got a nice young talent in Suds. I like that. You know, and Cruz, did Cruz get even better? I feel like for some reason he might have gotten some boost. You know, so I still like that team. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But it's like, you know, hey, it's a, it's, it's a transition for them. They went from one setup to a slightly different one. He's got to figure it out. He's got to round out that bench. But it's fun. I like it. Uh, we saw the Knicks. The Knicks, I don't know if it was a transition because – well, they like to transition, and when I say transition, they, again, they, this, is, this is the hashtag transition pod uh, drink when I say it, is 
is they 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 go back and forth. You know, and I don't need I, we don't need to recap what we've talked about in chat. But if people just like to gloss over the drama, I mean, here, you know, Andre asked a lot of good questions. He asked Ricky, you know, and myself for advice on stuff. I'm sure he asked a lot of other people on stuff. That's what people, you know, like Ricky said, you know, but he asked good questions. But like we said, way back in the day, he's still the energetic puppy. And and that puts him in a mode where he always, I don't think he wants to stay the course like Kyle. And you know what? That's fine. We need to get past the idea of everyone doing what they theoretically should be doing in the terms of the best long-term move of the team, because it's a game, you know, like you can't have Ricky out here. Like Ricky, Ricky doesn't want to ever rebuild. He hates it. It's boring. He likes to play. I don't really think like Ricky wants to win, but at the end of the day, he just likes to have fun with this. Yes, he wants to win and he's won his title and he can hang that over Snap's head for as long as he wants, you know, but he like, even now, like I've added Bo and my kind of team is what it is. I got free agency. It's like, am I going to enter into a a point where now my team was boring? Like I actually traded all my picks. So I've lost some assets. Like once you've traded all your picks and your team is what it is, you really can't really do much. You have to sit back and just kind of let it be. And it's hard to kind of do that. Yeah. You go out and you win. Awesome. Winning's great. But it's always fun to just be like, can I get this deal done? Can I get that deal done? And just kind of being active. You know, I think that's the fun part of the game. And you have a a good amount of GMs that want to do that. You know, so we talk about what's best for teams or what they should be doing. And I think that's in a vacuum of what is best for the long-term outlook of a franchise. Not considering this is a fucking game and everybody just wants to have fun. So, but at the same time, it is hypocritical for Ricky, who clearly just wants to have fun with this, to then criticize Jay, who, like I've said in chat, is that the Nets are better than the Blazers. I think I said that in the last podcast. Like, Ricky wants to give Jay crap. Okay, Jay kind of was going down the path of rebuilding again. Okay, great, but did he have anything that was that good? I guess in this draft, if he would have kept Twine and put Twine with Wheeler and Kalu and all the other guys, you know, is, is that good? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, he's still going to ultimately end up needing to land the superstar. And we had this whole weird dynamic where none of these guys had their own picks again. You know, like, he didn't have his pick, but he has the Knicks pick. And, and all, all this weird sideways stuff of people owning each other's picks. So put the Nets in a spot where they couldn't tank again this year, even though they had the young talent. So it was kind of just a weird situation where the Nets are, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of, Talk in the sense that he could have just rolled with the kids and everyone was banking on that. Everyone was banking on the Nets rolling with the kids and then that Nets pick was going to be valuable. But we also knew that the Nets did have a top pick, you know, that they did draft a guy. Now, of course, they traded Twine, well, the pick that ended up being Twine, right, for for Rob Glenn from the Timberwolves. You know, he's a, he's a nice guy that's as far as a polarizing argument between Glenn, is he good or not? You know, so it's funny that he ends up with with Rob Glenn, but Rob Glenn might have gotten a little bit better. But it's just, again, we we look at, you know, like, Jay has a mix now. Like, okay, Silva and and Bailey put him, like, what, all in for a couple seasons because, you know, both are getting kind of old and both are going to theoretically start to regress even more and could potentially hit free agency. You know, so his window is technically short, but what is, what is it short on? 
his window is short on winning a title, and is is that going to be a title team? I mean, who knows? But it's like if this if this Nets team existed last season, that team could have made the finals, in my opinion. Like I don't know what the rest of the team is, but again, wh- like what are the Blazers? Like we can talk about the Blazers' young talent, or not, or lack thereof. But look at the veterans that the but the Nets have. It's like their point is they weren't going to do anything anyways. They would have had to done this. They would have had to go this route for the next two or three seasons as far as the rebuild. So, but now he's in a position where he can have some fun. Like Bailey and Silver are good. I really don't care what he puts around those two guys. The team's going to be good. And now he's got like JP Tom. Do we know what that guy is? I mean, no, but he doesn't look bad. He's a he's a pass first guy. He's okay on D. You know, he might look. He doesn't look like he's going to take shots, but he's got again. He's got Bailey and he's got Silva. He still has AGS. You know, AGS isn't maybe what he used to be, but now good. Remember when we talked about what's AGS going to look like when he's surrounded by talent? Now AGS has talent around him again. And then he's got Rob Glenn. You know, and it's ironic that Ricky wants to pan the Nets, but Rob Glenn was like one of his best creations. And he sat here and talked about how he would much rather have Glenn than Elio. Well, now Glenn's on that Nets team. So it's like, are the Nets kind of a mess? I mean, maybe. But look, he's got Rob Glenn, who's fine. He's young. That guy could get the right progressions. What if he gets some big, huge, like, Raffy got like a plus five 2G boost in his first offseason. Glenn got some volume. I think he got some coefficient one through nines, which is fun. You know, what if AGS gets even better? He still has Tom. You know, again, he can still make some tweaks. If it goes sideways, he can flip Bailey or Silva. It's not like he's stuck with what he has. These guys aren't expiring. He's got them at least for next year, too. So I don't think the Nets are stuck. But if we're going to act like the Nets, like you want to say the Blazers are good, okay, fine. But but I'm not going to sit here and act like the Nets aren't better. To me, they look significantly better than the Blazers. Like, I, I, like if, if they come out of the shoot and they're not good, I would be shocked. I mean, we haven't, like, Bailey by himself has been solid. And we've seen, you know, like, when, when is the last time Silva hasn't been surrounded by, you know, like Silva's been on these teams for a while. Silva's going to be able to flex a little bit more and score a little bit more. I just think that's a solid starting lineup. Like, yeah, he's got to find fill out the roster. He's got free agency. He can make that happen. But I think it's silly to criticize Jay because he was in a position where he was trying to rebuild again and came out of it. Well, he came out of it with a much more fun team. Last time it was Parsons and some weird stuff. Like, what's wrong with Bailey and Silva? Like, that's fun. That's solid. And the Maynard's kind of trash anyways. So, like, I think that's easily a top-four seed. I mean, is that – are they better than the – I mean, they're probably not better than the Thunder just by virtue of overall talent. But are they better than the Warriors right now? I mean, they're better than the Suns. They're better than the Hawks. Like I said, I think they're better than the Blazers. So, I just think it's silly, you know, to just be overly critical of Jay for coming out of this rebuild again. Because at this point, it doesn't matter – what really is the long-term goal of the Nets. Like, yes, the Nets might come out of this and not win a title. But you know what? Jay wants to be fun. Jay wants to compete. Maybe when it's time for Jay to go on a vacation again is the time when he's going to rebuild. Is that he'll disappear for four or five months and go on a rebuild. But while he's active and very active right now, the most active Jay we've ever gotten is in this current stretch of, of weirdness back and forth. And, and I don't think this is because he didn't have – because the Knicks had his pick. I mean, I think that's part of it because it was in the middle of a rebuild. If he didn't have, if he did have his pick this year, I could, you could, you could make the argument that he doesn't go in this direction and he just stays the course for maybe one season more or another. 
But because he probably had these young assets, because he looked at the fact that the Maynard's a mess and you got people selling and that he could turn around and get Bailey, and it's not like any of these prospects he has are world beaters. You know, he was able to keep the four pick in all of this. So, he, again, at the end of the day, he comes out of this with Glenn and AGS. So I like the transition that the Nets have made. I like it. It's fun. It's really fun. I mean, if, if the Blazers are going to do it, if the Knicks are going to do it, why can't Jay do it? The Maynard's going to be a mess. I think Kyle noted it yesterday, or everyone's trying to talk about who is, who is going to try to win and who's going to lose. And there's like a few, only like, what, the Jazz and the Heat want to lose. Is, is that it? Is everyone else trying to actually be frisky? Like, we talked about the Timberwolves. Last season, the Timberwolves had a chance to make the playoffs. It looked like Rob Glenn rounded out that lineup, and they, they should be trying to win. But now they go in, again, weird transition for this team, is that, you know, Luther most likely is their starting center again. They could easily bring Bedlam off the bench. They've got that front court. I guess kind of it is what it is. They had Glenn at small four, but now what, they, what did they do? They got younger. They added Twine. So weird. So weird. So now that they have Twine, who's not terrible, he's playable now, and they added Hatch, who's bad. Hatch is bad. We joked about it. We said you, people wanted mock drafts. Hatch to the Wolves was like a lock. How that guy is a B- minus is fucking beyond me. The guy has passing, and he has like a teeny bit of volume, but it's not like he has rebounding. It's not like he has steals. Like the one through nines, I guess maybe does that boost it up a bit, but he just does not look good. So the fact that that's a, that guy's a B- minus should have everybody thinking twice moving forward when they look at some of these greats. I don't know if there was, again, without looking at it right now, I don't know if there was anything in there that kind of would tell you that maybe this guy was the, was the bust of the B-minuses. I mean, I guess Underwood was kind of the obvious one, and he ended up not being very good. But, man, Hatch is just not good. So now we joke about the Timberwolves needing the low-usage point guard. I think, yeah, the guy that they got, Jack, in that trade, I guess, probably is, what, nah, he's shit too. They still, I mean, Gospin, like I said, was the guy that they probably could have started. Man, I'm spouting nonsense here. i got to take a sip of something, clear my mouth. Whew. But anyways, the Timberwolves are now in a spot where you could argue they don't need to try anymore. I can't believe I'm fucking saying this. Is that they actually probably shouldn't try. There's enough teams trying in the Maynard that they don't need to now. Twine's not ready. Hat sucks. I felt like the, the Glenn seemed good that they could try. Now they're now they're in a spot where like Bradley still doesn't get defensive boost. Bradley still looks crappy. Luther finally got to the nine P D. Bedlam is who he is. He just kinda has stayed the same. So as the front court ages, he added like a really young backcourt. So what what what's their what's their mode right now? I mean we could argue that they're in a transition, but are they? No, they're still going to be bad. This team actually should be bad. Again, I can't believe I'm saying it. But with all the teams trying in the Maynard, they really have no incentive to try. I really, I mean, if you look at it right now, that's not a playoff team. They have decent front court players, but when you look at some of the, when you look at the playoff teams right now, they're all a lot more balanced. Last year, we had some of these teams that were flawed, but just by default because everyone wasn't good enough. But now what we're looking at, like, so, so the Wolves probably shouldn't try. But, I mean, you'd hope that they want to because, again, now that the front court's going to be kind of off age of the back court, but whatever. 
again, Mike's kind of the GM where it doesn't seem like he's overly active, where not trying for a whole month isn't going to be a big deal for them. So not trying and landing a top pick, maybe just redoing this again, running off more years of that front court is the better thing for that team long-term. If he doesn't really care about this season, it's a very easy thing to do for the Wolves. So I just don't, I don't know. I don't think they're going to be in the mix. Unless there's a trade to be made there, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I think we're going to see another bad season out of the Wolves because there's no reason not to. Um, we had talked about the Clippers. We had, we already talked about the Warriors. We talked about the Kings, talked about the Thunder. The Suns, what did the Suns do? Suns haven't done anything. Blazers haven't, well, we could do, we, well, sorry, we haven't talked about restriction free agency. We'll get to that. That will be the Blazers. Uh, the Hawks are kind of the same team. The Hawks are an interesting one because they tie into restricted free agency as well. And, of course, that also would be the Sonics. So who am I missing here? Let's pull it up. We're at a half an hour. Probably drop the Maynard here, and then uh, on my next drive, we'll drop the Landros. As usual, there's really not a ton of stuff going on in the Landros. And because the Maynard was so bad last year, it would make sense that there's a lot more transition going on in the Maynard as teams are trying to become good. Yeah, the Jazz are going to be bad. The Heat are going to want to be bad. Yeah, we kind of touched on everybody, and we kind of we started talking about the Knicks, and I guess I lost my train of thought on that one. But that was the idea of of the Knicks really not seeming like what direction they want to fully go in. Um, so we're talking about restricted free agency, and then I guess the Knicks are kind of part of it too. So we'll focus first on the Knicks. So the Knicks, you know, the argument, argument, the discussion here is that Andre likes to get advice from people, likes to ask questions, ask a lot of good questions, don't mind talking stuff. But then every once in a while, they just go off and do weird stuff. Like, Andre has this fascination with contracts being really bad. Okay, maybe he just listened to too many Goulet podcasts. That's possible. So I don't know why it turns into some of these, like, you know, he made the trade in the beginning, I guess, to get Stales. You know, he made this weird trade with Ricky at, to get, you know, he, he, he traded Patton um, to get Zabala, which ends up giving him the, the MLE now, I guess, which he probably still would have had. I don't know how capped he would have been. Um, but, but then, of course, they move, he moves his 42 for Stales. He moves his 42 with Stales for Brick. So, is Brick an upgrade? I'm going to say yes in the sense that Brick has some passing, Brick has some scoring, Brick has some rebounding. Like, offensively, Brick isn't terrible. Brick clearly was okay for me. We know that Brick was productive. Brick helped the, Brick helped the Blazers. Like, I don't think he's a guy, again, that you really want playing in the playoffs. But if you're talking about a productive player on a roster, sure. I mean, again, like, Eris Fitzgerald was productive for me last year. But he just sucked defensively. Okay, you can't really have, I guess, a, a huge black hole at center defensively. That's not a good thing. But it's like, was he that significantly worse than Brick, who doesn't really play defense? I mean, if it's, if it's one player, probably not. But anyways. So, is Brick an upgrade on Stales? I mean, maybe offensively for that team. It looks like maybe they, they need a little bit more scoring. I understand that Brick shaves off one. I can't believe we're talking about fucking Brick again. But this is what Andre, have we talked about this guy so much that it's like Stockholm Syndrome, that Andre likes the podcast, that he has to get sucked in on Brick? Like, why? Oh, can Brick just, like, Brick could have been on the fucking Lions and we would have never talked about him again. He would have just been on the Lions, being productive on a bad team, 
But instead, one of the club members has to go out and bring him back into the fucking fray. Oh, got to be Andre, of course. Got to be Andre. So, Brick might be a little bit better. Shaves a year off the Stales contract. I get it. That's fine. If you wanted to lose a year. Like, the argument was Patterson as opposed to Brick. Well, you know what? Patterson's fine, but if he's trying to, or Patterson opposed to Stales, Patterson's fine, but if you're trying to save a little bit of money, the whole point was save, shaving off the year. So that's where he got better by losing the year off of uh, the, the contract. I mean, if, if that's what you want to do, okay. But what we're trying to explain is that Andre's going to do whatever he wants. That's fine. But the advice we would have given is that people see that you're new and that your 42 pick has value. Like any Auburn pick has value. People can do a lot of stuff. And Andre is a, is a great example of somebody who's just going to do whatever they want. Like they'll take some advice, but they're still going to do whatever they want. So to act like, like if Andre wants to think his 42 doesn't have value, I mean, I think that's a little bit ignorant anyways, because you're new and you don't really know what your team's going to look like in a few seasons. You do have some young talent, but it's like, how good are they going to be in a few years? Are you really going to have all those veterans? You know, I like some of the core players, but it's like, look, the core player, if you want to say that's Kowalski, Matthews, and Danville, these guys are good. Still not like those those guys score a lot. Like they're going to need a lot of help for that team to be really good considering what we're looking at in the Maynard moving forward. A lot of these teams are look pretty good. So we don't know what that team's going to look like in 42, and coupled with the fact that it's somebody who's new that likes to kind of make some weird trades. You know, KJ obviously has the 41. He has the 41 next year. I mean, is, is, is that Nick, the Knicks team we know got frisky towards the end of the year? They seem like they're better. But I don't think you can definitively say even right now they're a playoff team. Like, they're very even when it comes to some of the other teams as far as the overall balance. So we don't know what they're going to look like. Now, Andre believes in himself. That's fine. Everybody likes to trade their future picks because they believe that they're going to be able to compete or that they know that that's what they need to, to push them over the top for a title. But I don't necessarily think that, again, the the long play was, if you know people are going to value your 42, you add your 42 to Stales, and you just try for a better player. That's what Ricky said. You know, the idea is, you know, people know that that's a valuable asset, so you attach that to the guy and get somebody better than Brick. And it's like, I don't care if it wasn't available right now. Like, again, we're talking about, like, you can have a little bit of patience. You might want to be competing, but, like, you can wait till after free agency. You know, we, we went to, like, what, 15 teams that had, that had cap space, now we're down to like five or six. You know, we have, we're talking about free agency and shit. I've rambled here for like 40 minutes and we haven't even gotten on that. We've just been talking about some of the moves the teams have made. So don't want to beat a dead horse, but it's funny how, you know, just sometimes you want to know, you know, hey, should I do this or should I do that? And then it's kind of like sometimes you're asking advice for something that's kind of, you know, basic, and then you go off and don't do that. But it's like if you got to learn, you got to learn. You know, it's fine. But but don't ever think that your picks don't have value. Um, but it's great. Hey, Brick, man. Wow, he's come full circle like two or three times now. And I wouldn't even be talking about this if it wasn't for the fact that I'm trying to talk about every team here in the Mater. So I don't know what the I don't really know what the Knicks are gonna be. Like I guess what, Kowalski got a little bit better, but he's low usage. 
You know, Matthews stayed kind of the same. You know, Brick looks like he's going to play small forward for that team. He's got Danville and Parsons. And it's like, I know Chris gave him, you know, like kudos on like the Parsons contract. The problem with the Parsons contract is Parsons won't extend. It's a declining contract. I understand the idea behind a declining contract is you want it to be declining when you're paying the rest of your guys. I get it. But you're now basically saying, I'm going to have Parsons for five years and that's that. Like, could he potentially sign for something? That's possible. But when you go down to like eight or nine, I don't really think guys extend. Although I guess they could ask for like 10 or 11. So you never know. Um, but I don't know if you needed to save that, that three or four million at the end. So I don't really like declining contracts. But Parsons got the nine PD back. He's a better player. So that team looks like they're going to be decent. I don't really know what to expect from that team. Remember, they looked kind of weird last year. And they ended up being decent. And they ended up finishing the season in the playoffs. But now with some teams seemingly more try, trying more, you know, what's going to hold up as, as the season goes on? I don't know. I don't know if that's a playoff team. Am I being ignorant? Am I just being too hard on that team? I don't know. I mean, yes, they made it last year, and they were like the three seed. But I just – we saw what happened to the Hawks. We saw what happened to the Suns. It didn't take a lot. And if just the – if something's just not right on a team, could it be that? And they look like they have some nice balance. I feel like everything fits. Brick's going to add, I guess, some, a little bit extra scoring. See a little bit more efficient than Steals, maybe. You know, but that's that's interesting. I think they're going to be a team on the low side of, you know, like a 6-7-8 seed. You know, they seem like they still should be better right now on paper because we don't quite know what we're looking at with the Clippers, you know, clearly the Timberwolves, um, you know, or the Sonics. But, you know, th- that could be a team that potentially slides out um, if they don't get things right. And then we come to free agency. It's taken us 40 minutes. Wow. Taking us 40 minutes to get to free agency. So the first one we have is restricted free agency. Now, the basic idea of restricted free agency is to try to put the pressure on somebody, meaning that if you know somebody's going to match the guy anyways, you, you pay him. And you do have two really good examples here, is that I don't think you had a scenario where Ricky wasn't going to match Kevin. Ricky believes in Kevin's. That's fine. I know he wants to, we, he, you know, like, we've, we, the hate went far on Brick. That's fine. And now the hate's probably gone way too far on Kevin's. That's fine. And I'm not going to be a hypocrite because I understand that Pang's inefficient. Fucking hate Pang. But here's the problem with Kevin's is that we've never seen Kevin's be a 50% shooter. Now, I understand he's never had a full-time starting role. Other than that, Tim, that Sim, that when he started, the team was terrible. But the problem is, yes, I, I do, I do believe he's broken. Now he didn't get a lot of two G boosts. We, we kind of thought that Marsh was a guy like that back in the day, who was kind of broken, and he did get enough boosts where it became a little bit better and more efficient. So I guess it's possible. Um, we can't say it's never happened. But the thing that bothers me about about Kevin's is that the ratings. I remember when the Hornets had him, and I did take a look. And then I think, what, Kyle ended up with him, and then I guess he ended up on the Blazers. Is that I just, again, I'm obviously the extreme opposite on this because I'm so biased because I look at him and I, and I kind of look at it as I'm of the mindset of I really don't like the fact that I've never seen 50% out of this guy. And there's another guy that we'll get to, into similarly who's on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to restrictive regency is that I know Ricky believes in him. He doesn't care. He's young. He's got enough boost. Ricky, again, Ricky's here to have fun. So not matching Kevin doesn't really make a lot of sense for Ricky because he wants to prove us wrong. That's the whole point. 
Ricky wants to shove Kevin's in my face and be like, fuck you. The guy's like 55% right now. You are so wrong. So wrong. Eat the crow. So I get it. But what bothers me is that, again, this guy now is going to get paid a lot. And I would just want to see it. Like uh, the guy's shot 40% with decent ratings. And he's inefficient. He's got a bad TO rating. He might have a bad foul rate. Like literally like the worst three things I would want in a player. So, yeah, I'm definitely biased against a guy like Kevin. So, but Ricky, again, you put the pressure on Ricky. Ricky's going to max him. So it's a questionable player that you're not sure if they're going to max. But people knew Ricky would max him, so they did that. Now, similarly, we saw a guy like Llewellyn Moss got paid by the Clippers, who barely was even playing for the Nuggets. So people look at it as a guy that they can steal. I guess we saw, what, with Jacob Franks? Franks got maxed by or got a de- that decent contract from the Hornets and then didn't get, ma- didn't get maxed or didn't get matched. I saw, I'm sorry. So Franks got paid by the Hornets, didn't get matched by the Grizzlies, but then the Hornets gave the Grizzlies a pick to take him back. And we killed Allrim for it. Allrim was able to trade Franks. We killed, we killed what? We killed Andre for having Franks because Franks went out and shot 40%. Now, again, I, I was wrong about that. I like Franks. But Franks, for the career, wasn't a 40% shooter. He was, like, closer to 50%. And then he gets shipped off to Chicago. Now, he got some nice boosts. I like Franks. I still like him. I don't want to say in one season because he shot 40%. Is that who he is? Now, we know that that team had passing, but maybe it was just because he can't handle the load. You know, maybe that's the guy that you can't count on to be your primary scorer. But, you know, I want to see a little bit more than that. I want to see multiple seasons of that to know that Franks is bad. You know, like, Franks has a little bit of steals, has a little bit of blocks. He's got decent ratings. I just, you know, we haven't seen him be a 40% shooter for his career to think that he's flawed. So I'm probably in the, in the, in the, in the minority of liking a guy like Franks. And now the Bulls have him. And I want to say I offered, I think I offered him a couple of those random picks I had for Franks. And I would have been fine with actually him as my center. That was a possibility. But no. Um, you know, I can see, like, he's still kind of young. He's still been getting some progressions, and I can see why, you know, KJ wants to keep him. But, you know, there's a good example of a guy that you put the pressure on, and, and, then, the, and then they walk. So now you got Llewellyn Moss on the Nuggets, who we won't really know what he is. He looks like a decent player. But the pressure here for the Nuggets is is that he would have to match him, and then, yes, he would have to flip him, I guess, and know what what, what is he flipping for. Is he a tradable piece? I think, you know, with, with the – with a contract like that, with a five-year contract and the way people are talking about things, like, you know, people wanting to keep their cap space, you know, what, what could Jamie get for him? I, I don't know. And I guess maybe Jamie looked at that situation of, you know, hey, look, decent player, but I'm not quite sure. Now, again, I probably would have looked at it as that maybe could have been a player that you flipped last season, knowing you might not pay this guy in the next season. If you have a young talent that you don't think you're going to invest something in or want to pay him, you know, or can't get him for the money you want, maybe you can get something for him before you have to let him walk. Uh and and that's a good example. You know, so we don't really know what that guy is yet. He could be good. He could get some future boosts. But he really wasn't playing much of a part for the Nuggets. And the other thing was that he was going to be expensive. So it's like if there's a guy that you're not even playing, like you don't want to lose an asset, but if you're not even using him and you're in a mode right now where you got to start paying some people, unless you know that you could flip like Moss and like Lozon or something for an upgrade and maybe some more stuff, you know, I guess that's where it's risky. You know, so it looks like, I guess what, Jamie didn't match Moss and Moss walks. And then you have the fun one. The fun one's Callahan. Is that BJ wanted Callahan to be his 
you know, one of his gunners last year at the, you know, he's his 3G gunners. Now, it makes sense, in my opinion, if if Callahan's going to shoot 40%. Now, are we going to sit here and be like, what's the difference between 40% and 37%? You know, it's not tremendous. But you know what? I think you want he, – he wanted Callahan to be a 3 and D guy. And the problem is, is that, yes, he's got nice, really nice defensive one through nines. He's got some steals. He's got the threes. But he's his sixth man. So he's in a similar position as Jamie, is that you don't – it's like that's a guy that – that's a guy that you can't afford to pay him to be your sixth man if you can't make it work. Like if he's committed to have sacks at the two, I think Callahan really needs to be a shooting guard. Seems like it really didn't work at small forward. He was really inefficient. Plus, he doesn't have the rebounding. And it sounds like he did play him at the two, and it didn't work. So if he played him at the two, and he still wasn't really that good, how like how bad is that guy? Like, and and the, the example I used, I think it's Austin Lane, who's on the Pacers, who's like literally the same guy, except for the three point shooting. And that guy's making two million. So you want to max Callahan? Omer had a lot of money to throw around. Omer doesn't care. We know that he's probably going to go shoot 50% for Omer now that we've talked so much shit about the guy. But um, but that's a big contract to pay, one, for your sixth man, and two, for a guy that, again, we haven't seen it. We've seen him play big minutes on teams and not be able to, sh- to, to shoot well. You know, like, if, if that's a guy that you're going to pay $8 million to or that you have a reasonable contract, like, yes, that contract can, like, the player isn't necessarily – horrific if the contract's okay. Like John Marsh. Like we talk a lot of shit about Marsh. Marsh went to the went to the Celtics. If Marsh was getting half that contract, he's obviously not as polarizing of a topic. But when you get a lot of these guys that are overpaid, like it does matter. And when you're a team like the Nuggets or the Hawks, like you can't afford to be paying guys who don't really play a role for you that much money. Now here's the best part of this. And this is what we'll we'll end up cap re, you know ending on for, for this uh for the Maynard talk is is BJ hits me up and I'm going to put bubbles on blast here just because it's funny. Cause you know what? I wanted to know what the dynamic was here. Wanted to know, you know, like, is this a situation, you know, like we know kind of Ricky, Ricky likes to take advantage of us. Maybe if he can, he still wants to get the ball best of it. Maybe if he can get a little bit for himself um, with the club, so let's look inside the 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 bubbles and the and the BJ dynamic. And I'm probably never going to be tell, told a story again. But this one's too good not to share. So obviously he doesn't want to lose Callahan for nothing, right? Because he liked him to a degree. And it's like, in my opinion, he's no matter what, no way are you matching that contract. Like you're already you're already going to head into an era where you're not quite sure if that guy's good for your team because again if you're going to commit to your certain lineup he's your sixth man do you want to pay your sixth man that much if you're not quite sure if he's even good that's questionable but in a vacuum i would argue that like callahan is not a horrific player if he has a manageable contract well here's where it gets fun there was a little bit of talk about someone actually out there potentially being able to give him something for Callahan. Well, you know who it was? It was fucking Bubbles. But here's where it gets fun. is that the offer was Mo Lubega and I think another guy, Haddad, who I guess would be probably his qualifying offer, I think, on there. So the salaries match. He, he gets a cheaper, younger player 
and moves off Callahan's contract and doesn't theoretically lose an asset. Like, okay, I know you guys are friends, but what kind of what kind of magic does Bubbles hold above you if you can't see through that? Like, Lubega is not good. Like, Bubbles went out there drunk and offered, like, six guys contract extensions, and he's just hoping one of them gets progression. Like, ah, oh, there's another guy. Is it Paddock? Paddock's a small forward. That guy looks like absolute shit, too, and he got a $10 million contract. Like, Lubega, okay, he's power forward center. He's not horrific, but that's a bad contract for a guy that, like, Again, when we say bad, it's like, okay, you, want to, you, you have a young guy that could potentially get progressions. Like, okay, that's great. They're stashable. But it's like if you're now a team that like, is like the Hawks and you want to kind of try to be competitive, like is it worth it for you to stash guys? No, it's worth it for the Bucks to stash guys. So the idea was he was offering like, like okay, great. Like here, here, BJ, you know, like I'm sorry I knocked you out of the playoffs. And, but you know what? I'm going to take the Callahan contract off your hands. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a worse player on a bad contract as well. So basically, Bubbles wanted BJ to bail him out. He wanted to bail him out of the Lubega contract. Now, look, is Callahan a bad contract? Yes. But guess what? Bubbles is a bad team. He's going to tank. So if Callahan ends up being the, the shooting guard for, for the Bucks, he can, again, he can manage that. Because he can throw out Callahan. Maybe Callahan gets some crazy boost long-term. But the point is, is like it was an unmanageable deal for the Hawks right now. But Bubbles can manage it. And what Bubbles does is he gets to shed a shitty contract. I was like, are you attaching a pick to that? No, it's just getting something for nothing. You're actually getting nothing for nothing. You're actually, get, you're, you're actually trading. You're getting a, a, a bad contract back and probably losing value on the player. Who we were questioning whether or not he's good anyway. It's funny. I couldn't believe it, actually. Bubbles, trying to take advantage of BJ. Again, kick a man while he's down and he's your boy. Wow. People are ruthless. I mean, we, we talked about Ricky not Ricky squashing Lasecki to the, like, Andre. Andre could have had Lasecki instead of the next pick, and Ricky played a part in that. Man. There's no clubs, people. People are ruthless. People are out to stab each other in the back if they can, if it manipulates their cap and they can get over on anybody and get themselves in a better position with their team. So don't think somebody's out there being your friend because it seems like the best friends will whisper in your ear and be like, ah, I'll hook you up. I'll give you something nice. Check out this guy. This guy looks good, right? Not bad. You get something for nothing? Take it. It's good. Saves you a little bit of money. Why not? Makes a lot of sense. No! No, Bubbles! You raping bastard. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Now, look, I hate to put both people on blast. I think BJ knew what was going on. I understand what Bubbles was trying to do. But it's just funny. It's just funny because we always talk about the, dan- the dynamic between those two. And if that trade happens, we would have been like, what is going on? What is going on? Now, I guess it's the point of, it makes sense, though, right? Man, if this, I, I guess it does make sense because if the conversation was like, hey, man, uh, you really helped me out. Uh, you helped me out getting Mario, so I'm going to bail you out of that Lubega contract. You know, or Bubbles is saying, I gave you Mario for cheap value, so 
can I cash in and you give me Callahan instead of Lubega? Get me off that money. Let's work it. So I guess there's that too, right? Maybe I have it the wrong way. Maybe I have it the you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours later on. But man, that was that was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. But anyways, there's a solid hour. A solid hour. We got free agency coming up. We have five, what, five or six teams left. So the Clippers, I think, might have lost their max spot because they signed Moss. I could be wrong, but they might not have the max spot now for air. And the funny thing is, other than the Lions, the teams left for air, you know, the Sonics, sure. Okay, the Sonics have Marco Polo, and now they have Callahan. So they're probably in the team that if you're competing, you don't. they're the team that you least want to have get air. Because the Lakers, do we care if the Lakers get air? No. I don't fucking care if the Lakers get air. The Lakers suck. Um, the Cavs? No. Now, the Cavs are going to be fun because the Cavs are just going to get them to flip. And they're just going to keep flipping more stuff for stuff. So that will be a good one. Um, the Cavs, of course, have all sorts of reasons to flip them out to the Maynard to keep some of those other teams out of the playoffs since he potentially has, what, four picks of some teams out in the Maynard? You know, it's like I think it's like we talked about. I think it's impossible that none of them miss. But, you know, it's more likely that maybe what? Like he has four picks, so probably two. But it'd be crazy if he somehow ends up with four lotto picks. Um, and who has cap space? The Rockets. And the Rockets are on the rise. They would be a fun one because I think they're kind of ready that if they want to, they could make the playoffs next season. Um, the draft pick was decent. The kids got some boosts. I think they're kind of ready to go if they want to be frisky. Now, they still only won 18 games last year, so you're like, holy shit. You you went from making them the worst team in the Landros to potentially one of the better ones? Come on. Yeah, that's lofty. But it's like the talent's decent enough that, of course, if they get air, they could be frisky enough out east. And I probably should look. I mean, here we go. Just stupid, wasted, end of the podcast mess. We're going to look and see who has cap space. And it is the Jazz. So are the Jazz going to come after air just to flip them? Okay, cool. That's just an asset. We talked about the Lakers. The Lakers technically have two spots if they want to sign multiple guys. The Rockets can sign him. The Grizzlies can sign him. And then we said, what, the Cavs, the Sonics, and I guess the Heat are slightly off. Yeah, the Clippers are way off. Um, the Heat, I don't think, do they need 16 in year one? I forget if it's 13 or 16 in year one. If it's 16... Thinking it's 16, the heat are slightly off. Um, so that really only leaves six teams that can that can get it done. Um, and they're all bad, other than the Sonics. Is that the Sonics is the one team that's probably going to try. So everyone else, like, of course, I guess the Lakers probably would keep him and then just be frisky, which is fine, but they have no one else on the roster. Like, the Lakers aren't going to be good with air. I don't care. You want to talk about... You only need one superstar. Okay, fine. But the Lakers aren't good. They, they're purging their entire roster to get one guy. So if you want to see if somebody can do it, guess what? Watch the Lakers. And guess what? They're not going to be able to do it. Now, the Landers will be weaker next season, but they're not going to be able to suddenly turn themselves into a championship team. They're going to waste air. And then Cavs, Grizzlies. Grizzlies are fun. The Grizzlies, like I said, their best three players are, are foreigners. Uh, Elio, Pizza Boy. Um, he drafts the Finn guy, and he's got Necrosoft. You know, he's just a guy. Now he just needs to probably get what? He needs to get a power forward and a center. Maybe get what? Maybe get Mario. Mario would be a fun big for him. 
Um, he could sign. I mean, Ayers wasn't a Euro, but that would be funny if he signed him. Uh, but look at, look at Allroom. <laughs> the Mario thing's a joke. But it's just I'm just trying to think of fun Euros off the top of my head. Marco was a Euro, right? Um, is is Allroom now just needs an all-Euro team. But stay young. But there's a funny thing where if he gets air, he could turn around, and I don't think he would want to try. I feel like at that point you just cash in and you just keep selling. And now you have two really nice pieces in Elio and and uh, and your Finnish guy. And then if, if Necrosoft is long-term, like a nice solid six-man, I don't know if he's a starter. I mean, that's three nice young pieces, and whatever you could potentially get for air, get some front court pieces now, be a real fun team. Grizzlies are going to be fun here in a little bit. And like I said, so it's interesting that we got some teams out in the Landros, like the Grizzlies, the Rockets, and the Cavs, potentially able to get air, as well as the Lions, to helpfully, you know, hopefully get them some pieces to retool. You know, the Jazz are kind of the weird one because we don't really know what to expect from them. And then the Lakers will probably use him. So there's going to be, again, probably more of an influx of talent in the, in the Landros with some of these guys trying to sign some free agents and then potentially trying to flip them. Um, the youth movement's probably going to be out there in the next few years with some of those bad teams trying to be good. But that's something that we'll cover ultimately when we get to uh, to the transition of that conference. But in either way, I think the, the Maynard's fun. The Maynard's going to be really fun. You know, no matter what, we're going to have a preview once the dust settles after free agency to kind of see what everyone's lineups look like. You know, we'll try to get Ricky back on that preview pod again. And I'm sure we're going to get into it. There's a lot of topics now we're going to get into as far as, again, the – transition of a lot of these teams have put us into polar opposites on some of these topics. And uh, this could be a controversial podcast as we're just talking a lot of shit here about a lot of different people, but the Maynard, I think being wide open other than the Kings and not knowing what the Kings are going to do long-term since divine is a potentially in a walk year is, is just sending that conference in flux. A lot of young teams now starting to add where they're starting to want to be good um, and then you have the other teams like the like the Warriors, the Suns, the, the Hawks. They're kind of already there where they have some young talent and some old, and I, I don't think they're going to be going in anywhere anytime soon. So the Maynard's going to start getting dirty pretty quick. Again, we saw, you know, what, four or five-way tie year with all these teams with 41, 42 wins. You know, what's it going to be this year? It's going to be even more with teams trying harder. It's going to be good. It's going to be fun. So anyways, we're going to have free agency tomorrow. And, oh, well, shit, I guess I probably should come back here in my next – here, uh, this is, uh, what, the end of the Maynard? We've done an hour. Haven't talked about the Landros, so uh, we'll drop this now, give you something to feed on, and we'll give you a Landros little snippety here in about uh, probably 30, 45 minutes.